0: Good morning, guys. Those of you online, good morning. Glad that you're with us. Um, just a week, so I've been thinking about just what God has done in the last week. Sean mentioned this, but just this past week, our own Jorge Suarez was down in the uh, country of Colombia. So we actually have an online campus now in Colombia, believe it or not, and six baptisms there. You saw that photograph. Um, this same week, I found out from. Um, from one of our members of our missions team that this is our 50th anniversary of hosting Joseph Shulam in Jerusalem as his sponsoring congregation in mission work, which is one of the, it's probably, we're getting close to record sponsorship, 50 years there. And uh, Glenn told me that, uh, told me this week that so far this year, we've actually planted 23 churches just in one country, the country of chat alone. So I'm thinking of that. We have uh, Anne and Miguel Onofre who's here. That They had to spend a bunch of time in quarantine down in Peru. And they're here. I think we have a shower for them this afternoon. And it looks like things may be letting up there where they can get back and do a little bit more of their mission work. We had a baptism at first service. Um, Lane Upton was baptized by Bob Webb. It was a really sweet thing. He's just had a good influence over her for a long time. And I've also just been told that today is the cream of the crop and Beatty's birthday. So there you go. (laughs) That's just one week in the life of North Boulevard. That's a whole lot, isn't it? And I haven't even read all the stuff on the notes here. I want to tell this story. I think God just gave me this story just for today because I I only learned about it. Well, it only happened this week. This uh, woman is Tatiana Schoonmacher, And this is... uh, picture of her baptism. She's the one in the middle. She was baptized in 2016 and celebrated her new life in Jesus Christ. She was 18 at the time and was in high school. This is her high school photograph, by the way. Uh, She was already an extraordinary athlete, however. She's a swimmer. Some of you already know her story. And she spent the next four years preparing for the 2020 Olympics. In fact, she took a year out of the university in order to train for this, for the, uh, I guess, 200 meter, maybe the breaststroke, whatever it is. And suddenly August of 2020 rolls around and the Olympics are delayed, if not totally canceled. She sent out a tweet that was just a marvelous tweet. She sent out a tweet when it came out that she follows Jesus and that she was going to learn that her will should always be submissive to God's will, that God's the one in charge and she was going to be okay with whatever God did, which is actually a pretty extraordinary thing to do because you all know that the window of the Olympics for average athletes, a pretty short window. And if you miss too much, you're, you're pretty much out of it. Last week in Tokyo, she sent out this tweet, which said, Father, may, you be, may your will be done, your peace fill us up. And I like this, may we praise you no matter what. And that actually is the attitude that you've been invited to by Jesus. It's what I'm going to talk about out of Deuteronomy 33, kind of an unlikely subject in some ways, but it is learning that God never promised that you would get your will. He never promised that you would get your will, but He did promise that He would get His will. And so if you will get in the will of God, you'll claim all the promises of God as well. Now, it just so happens that sometimes God says, thanks for getting in my will. I'll give you a little bit of your will now. So on Friday of this past week, Um, Tatiana not only won the gold medal in the 200-meter breaststroke, but she also set a world record. And beneath her cap, she wears two caps. She has the green one on uh, for for South Africa. But beneath that, she has a white cap on which she has all all glory to God. So what about it? I think it's the biggest struggle of the Christian faith is going from that place in life where, you think of God as like Aladdin's lamp, you know, you rub him and he comes out and he says, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want to the place where somewhere down the road in the Christian walk, we learn to say what Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. And that's actually the biggest struggle, I think, to following Jesus. It's the biggest challenge to believing in God is that sense that um, if God is real, Why are bad things happening? If God is so real, why do I have to face so many problems? If God is so real, why is there so much disappointment in the world and violence and why are there hungry people and why are are there people with diseases and so forth? And the answer we're going to see in Deuteronomy 33, or we're at least going to sort of build out of Deuteronomy 33, is that God is really trying to teach us, depend on me and not on yourselves. So, I took a crew to... uh, to Israel and Jordan and several places. We did some filming. The text we're about to read is about Mount Nebo and the Moabite mountains. I just want to show you a little clip that'll help you see where Mount Nebo is. So, if you guys want to bring down the lights, it's a little 30-second clip here. You'll see the mountain, I think, over my so shoulder. So, Moses brings the children of Israel all the way from Egypt down into the Sinai, and then he brings them up these mountains off over my right-hand shoulder to your left. These are the mountains of Moab. God gets him right up to this point, but because of uh, Moses' sin, God won't let him come across into the Holy Land. But off in the distance, the very green peak, you can barely see it in the mountain of Moab, is Mount Nebo. And it was upon this mountain that God allowed Moses to stand and look out over the entire promised land that God would soon give to the children of Israel. So at the end of chapter 33, we're about to read there, Moses makes all kinds of promises to Israel. He says that God's going to be there to help you. God will be your refuge. God's going to put his arms beneath you and hold you up. God is going to drive out your enemies. God will give you a place of safety. He will give you all the bread and the wine that you might want and he will be your shield, your helper and your sword. And here's the thing. I know the history of Israel and a whole lot of these promises didn't turn out. They faced wars and pestilence. They had deportations. They saw their city of Jerusalem destroyed multiple times. There were times where there were famines, locust plagues, diseases. And even after the biblical days, you know, the Jewish community has had a hard life. The pogroms of Europe, the Holocaust, even today, a hard life. And it it raised the question as I was preparing for this sermon, what do we do with texts like this? You'll see them in a moment where there are all these promises made. And then, you know, actually the rest of the story is that it didn't turn out so well. And it raises for me the same question, which is, can I trust God? Can I trust him? I mean, he made all these promises that appear not to have come true. So what about for me? And I'm assuming that if I have that question at times, you do too. If not, this will be a great morning for you to have a nice nap because that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to work through chapter 32 right at the end and chapter 33 of Deuteronomy. Let's start at verse 48. On that same day, the Lord told Moses, go up to the Abiram, Abiram Range to Mount Nebo in Moab. So I was just showing you Mount, Noab, uh, Mount Moab across the Dead Sea in that a last little video clip. Across from Jericho and view in the land I'm giving the Israelites as their own to possess. And they're on the mountain that you've climbed, you will die. By the way, next week's our last sermon on Deuteronomy, and I'm already getting sad about it. I, and and I, I just, I'm sad for a lot of reasons, but one of them is I don't want Moses to die. We've been walking with him for so long, 120 years this guy has lived. For 40 years, he has carried his church through this wilderness. And all of a sudden God says, and you can't cross over. I'm not going to let you cross over. You'll be gathered to your people just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. And this is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the water of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zen. And because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites, therefore you will see the land only from a distance. You'll not enter the land I'm giving to the people of Israel. That sounds hard, doesn't it? After 40 years. But what happened is that God had told Moses to uh, to speak to a rock and bring water out. Moses had gotten to the point that he honestly didn't like his church anymore. He was mad at his church. He was irritated. All they did was complain. He's 40 years in a desert with them, and he was mad at them. You know, odds are he didn't like them anymore. And they were complaining about water. And so rather than honoring God by doing what God had said, Moses takes his stick and he beats the rock. And he says, why do we have to put up with you people? And God's word is, Moses, you just dishonored me. So you're going to get to see the land from Mount Moab, Mount uh, Nebo. It's all, by the way, it's also called Mount Pisgah. So when we sing songs about Pisgah or Nebo, that's what we're singing about. But he says, you're not going to be able to cross over. Aaron didn't cross over either. So we have a lot of mountains in this text. Remember that mountains in the Bible are places where people meet God. And so we think that Mount Hor is the mountain where Aaron is buried. or We think this is the location, which by the way, some of you will be familiar with the, the place called Petra which is a pretty popular tourist spot now in Jordan. And just above Petra is a traditional site of the burial of Aaron. And on top of Mount Nebo, also called Pisgah, there's an ancient church there that commemorates where Moses stood. And this is the view Moses would have seen as he looked off Mount Nebo. By the way, we do know which mountain is Mount Nebo. And this is the view that he saw from Mount Nebo. uh, Even this photograph is much smaller than what than the breathtaking view you actually get. You see so much of the land of Israel. And God says to Moses, I'm going to let you look at it, but you won't get to cross the Jordan. I'm going to talk about this next week, but I've just thought a whole lot about crossing the Jordan. Think about how much the Jordan River and crossing the Jordan plays into the mythology and the songs, the poetry, and the imaginations of all of us. That the way we talk about you know, to Canaan's land, I'm on my way, or on Jordan's stormy banks, I stand. That is just, it's taken mythological proportions for us because it's just that big a deal. And we're at that moment in the narrative. Moses then decides to bless the Israelites. And a blessing in antiquity is a very important function. It, is, uh, it has the function of setting someone's destiny. So if I give you a blessing today, it's kind of like I just was nice to you. But in the ancient world, when a father gave a blessing to a son or a daughter, it was a prophecy. It meant this is what's going to happen to you. So the words were always carefully weighed when a blessing was given. In fact, if you gave the first son's blessing to the second son, it was so binding that the second son became the first son, which actually happens in this text. That what's going on is that the blessing is a very important thing. And Moses now functioning as a father figure to Israel is giving the last blessing before he dies. These are Moses' last words in the book of Deuteronomy. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, by the way, I, th- I think this is one of the first times the Bible calls him a man of God. It's, it's to me, it's, it's kind of God's way maybe of saying, you know, all that stuff about Moses not being able to cross over. He's still my man. I mean, he's still my man. Moses, the man of God. Pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. These are mountains. They started out at Sinai and they worked their way up. Uh, He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slope. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet, they all bow down and from you receive instruction. The law Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob. He was king. That is, God was king over Yeshurun, which is a nickname for Israel. It just means righteous one. When the leaders of the people assembled along with the tribes of Israel. Israel, And I want to look back at two of those verses because there's something really kind of cool happening here. uh, Moses is saying that when God gave the Ten Commandments, he was surrounded with myriads of holy ones. He says that in verse 2. And then in verse 3, he says something similar to it. All the holy ones are in your hand. And it appears that what Moses is saying is that when God gave the Ten Commandments, though the book of Exodus doesn't record this, Moses says when God gave the Ten Commandments, all of his angels were standing there with him. You can imagine Moses was on the mountain. You can imagine what it must have been like to have God handing the Ten Commandments to Moses, and there are 10,000 angels surrounding him like an army. I want to point that out because those of you who are serious students of the New Testament will remember this text. Galatians 3 and verse 19, when talking about the Ten Commandments, says that it was given through angels. If you're a New Testament student, you'll look at that and say, man, I don't know what he's talking about. I think he's talking about this text in Deuteronomy, that when Moses got the Ten Commandments, there was a host of angels around God who were giving that... um, the, the authenticity of God's kingship as our, as our opening prayer actually indicated. So if you're filling in blanks on your notes, this is one of them. Paul may well have had this text in mind in Galatians 3 and verse 19. All right, real quickly, we're going to look at each of the blessings because this is the text. We start with Reuben, whose territory included Mount Nebo, and it's a very simple blessing. Let Reuben live and not die, nor his people be few. In other words, we want Reuben to flourish. By the way, everybody you know today whose name is Reuben, is named after this guy and likely a descendant of this guy. So it ha- his descendants have not perished and he remains strong. Judah. So Judah becomes the major tribe of Israel. It is the most important tribe. And uh, in, in Hebrew, the word is Yehuda, and it is the word from which we get our word Jew. So Yehuda became so influential that it became synonymous with the Jew. And here's the blessing on Yehuda. This is what he said about Judah. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands, he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. So it's just a prophecy that Judah is going to be strong enough to defend himself. We get to Levi. Now, Levi gets no territory, so we can't show it on the map. Instead, the Levites are supposed to scatter throughout all the nation and serve three functions. They predict the future by by using stones. The stones are called the Thumen and the Urim. And what they would do, apparently, we actually don't know fully what they were doing. Evidently, one stone was one color, another stone was another color, and they would put them in a bag, and they would say, Lord, if it's red, we'll do this. If it's blue, we'll do that. And that was their way of saying, we're going to follow the will of God. Which, by the way, is a terrifying way to do that. Just, think, just saying, uh, so, Ed, Ed, Udafi is back in Nigeria uh, right now visiting. I, I think I've said this before. Your dad's a He's the chief of his tribe. But when Edit got married to Alice, Edit's elders called Edit when he was in the U.S. and said, We found a wife for you, come home. And Edit said, Have I met her before? And they said, No, you've never met her, but when you get here to marry her, you'll meet her. And, and I mean, it's a great family. It's done a great thing, but it's just so foreign to the rest of us. And, but it tells you that there's such a thing as depending on the will of God. And I think I've said this before too, but, you know, I trust our elders. But, man, if they called me and said, David, we got a wife for you, it, I might panic for just a minute, you know. Um, but this is what's happening here, that these two stones, they're just depending on the will of God. Can you imagine, depending on the will of God? The second thing the Levites did was, is that they taught the law to all the people in the land. And the third thing, they conducted the worship service. So here we are. About Levi, he said, you're a thuman, and Urim belong to your faithful servant. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brother or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. What's he saying? I think what he's saying is there was a controversy that occurred back at these waters. And the Levites stood up and said, we don't care if you're father or mother, brother or sister, we're going to do the right thing. That's what it means. He cared not about his kids. In other words, they decided to do the right thing no matter what their family was doing. Again, depending on the will of God. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless all his skills, Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Strike down those who rise against him, his foes, until they rise no more. We deal with the tribe of Benjamin, which is just north of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's actually in the territory of Yehudah, of Judah. Benjamin's to the north of that. And the Benjaminites are still to this day a very proud people. They're warrior-like people. And... Um, They were, even their name means powerful right arm. They were the the warriors of Israel. And you'll see that in the blessing. About Benjamin, he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long. That is, he's the best warrior. It's funny because Benjamin means son of my right hand. And when you read the Old Testament, you remember there was a group of Benjaminite warriors and they were all left-handed it's just something going on in this text that the name means right-handed guy. And the reason they were so effective in battle, remember you're swinging a sword, you go to battle, you expect everybody you fight to be coming at you from this side. And the people from Benjamin were effective warriors because they're all left-handed and they came from that side. And so nobody expected the blow to come from the left hand, especially when their name means right hand. And that made them effective warriors. So he says, he shields them all day long. The one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. So now we have the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. They, uh, they occupy the central highlands, the mountains of the middle part of Israel. You'll see that in their blessing. These are the sons of Joseph. Joseph got a double, he got a double portion. They went to his sons instead of to him. And he has two sons. About Joseph, he said, May the Lord bless his land with the precious dew from the heaven above, the deep waters that lie below. With the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield. With the choicest gifts of the, here we go, ancient mountains, These are the highest mountains in Israel and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills and the best gifts of the earth and its fullness with the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, the brow, the prince among his brothers in majesty. He's like a firstborn bull. I've said this before, but until the steam engine was invented, the ox was the most powerful machine on planet Earth. And that's what's being said Manasseh and Ephraim are like a, they're the strongest machines there are. With them, he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh. Then we get another double blessing: Zebulun and Issachar. They live in what's called the Jezreel Valley, which is the breadbasket of all of, of Israel. It's the most productive land in all of Israel. It's an image of the Jezreel Valley. The blessings are simple. About Zebulun, he said, "Rejoice, Zebulun, and you're going out, and you, Issachar, and you're coming." Uh, to your tents and you're entering his tents, they will summon peoples to the mountain and there offer sacrifices of the righteous. They will feast on the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. We go to Gad. Gad is on the east side of the Jordan River and he occupies, the tribe of Gad occupies the highlands of the country of Jordan where there are a lot of row crops grown still today, wheat and barley and oats and so forth. And you'll see that in this blessing. About Gad, he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad's domain. Gad lives there like a lion tearing at arm or head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and his judgments concerning Israel. We get to Dan. And by the way, everyone in here named Dan or Daniel, if that's your first name or your last name, You're named after this guy, uh, this one of the sons. And so Dan starts out in what we would call the Gaza Strip today. But very shortly thereafter, Dan actually migrates to the foot of Mount Hermon where Bashan is, which is the Golan Heights today. You'll hear that in the blessing. Dan is a lion's cub springing out of Bashan. In other words, it's a prediction that he's going to find a new territory shortly after. Two to go. Naphtali. Naphtali is... The Sea of Galilee is the prettiest part of Israel. Today is still the prettiest part. It's hard to capture the beauty of this area. It's also the land of Jesus. Jesus did almost all of his ministry in the land of Naphtali which Matthew confirms. And so an image here of the Sea of Galilee, is a beautiful lake. About Naphtali, he said, Naphtali is abounding with the favor of the Lord and is full of his blessings and will inherit southward down to the lake. And finally, Asher, whose name means blessing, by the way. That's what the word Asher means in Hebrew. He occupies the coastal plain, the northern coastal plain where Tyre is. Uh, Sidon and other places where seaports are and a lot of goods come back and forth. And the final blessing Moses gives is this. Most blessed is Asher. Blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers. Let him bathe his feet in oil. Asher has a lot of olive trees, produce a lot of oil in that area. And then he speaks of the strength of its cities. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze and your strength will equal your days. Okay. That was a long survey, wasn't it? I'm feeling it too. Let's finish our text. Last few verses of chapter 33, and this is actually where we want to kind of focus the rest of this lesson. Because God makes his promises here. So you've seen in these blessings, all these promises about what's going to happen. And I th- I'm going to tell you, I, the sermon that I wrote today came out of a, I wrote it because I'm bothered by this text. This, I believe it, but I'm bothered by it. I'm bothered by all the promises, and then I'm bothered by the fact that I know the history of Israel, and it doesn't seem to live up to these promises. That's what bothers me. And then it bothers me because I know all the stuff that I've asked God for, and I think, well, if they didn't get it, when I asked for it, odds are I'm not going to get it. And then suddenly it calls into question what I think is the number one reason why there are atheists in the world today. You know what the number one reason for atheism, at least in the U.S., The number one reason for atheism, it's not scientific. actually scientists believe in the Bible at the same rate as non-scientists do. So it's really easy to believe in science in the Bible. The real reason people become atheists is because they're disappointed in God. And I will say this, there is a degree of integrity in atheism. There actually a degree of integrity, which is, hey, God made a whole lot of promises, and I'm hurting every day. I can't make it work. It's easier for me not to believe in God than it is for me to believe that there's an all-powerful, all-good God who's letting me suffer. That's what a lot of people face. That's why we want to be compassionate towards people. But we also need to understand that we're probably misreading the nature of the promises of God. And that's what I want to end with. Verse 26, there's no one like the God of Isheron, who rides across the heavens to help you on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge. Underneath are his everlasting arms. He will drive out the enemies before you, saying, destroy them. So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell, in secure, will dwell secure in the land of grain and new wine, where heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will tread on their heights. Look at all the promises that God made in this text and yet how many of us find ourselves not really experiencing what we thought God had promised us when we were baptized that we just think you know I thought when I was baptized everything was going to be great from that point forward I don't know why I thought that nobody ever told me that but I just thought it and then it's not I mean, think about all the things we enter into, thinking to ourselves, well, this is going to make life beautiful. It's going to be perfect. And then it's not. And we have to deal with all this disappointment. What do we do with that? If I went back to our original swimmer, Tatiana, what she would say is, we have to learn that it's God's will that counts, not my will. And I want to say, if you don't believe in God, it's true even if you don't believe in God. Like, it's not like all of a sudden being an atheist solved your problem. Did it? Now Now that you're an atheist, you don't have any disappointments? No, you still have disappointments. Now you just have no God to help you. You still have frustrations. You still have pain. You still have confusion. You still can't sort things out in life. Now you just have no God to help you. What the Bible teaches us is that upon our baptism, we start as babies, and babies start selfish. I hate to say that. But babies are the most selfish creatures on planet Earth. That's all they do is cry, give me something else, you know, change my diaper. They, you know, you think they love you. They don't. <laughs> they love your food. You know, that's what they're wanting. And somewhere over the course, Julia's is disagreeing with me. I would say vehemently disagreeing with me. I'm being a good Calvinist here for just a moment, Um, and then I'll go back to being Arminian in a minute. But what I will say is this, as we mature in life, here's what happens. We learn that it was never about me anyway. That was the false standard I was using. I was thinking that God is here to give me what I want. What I was missing is that God made me so that I could give him what he wants. I prepared an outline, and I kind of shuffled it since... uh, since I wrote it, two texts. We were chosen so that we could praise God. We are chosen so we can declare the praises of God. I would start with number two because that's where I'm reordering it. Remind yourself God didn't create you so that you could serve you. Furthermore, God didn't create you so that God could serve you. God created you so that you could serve God. That's why God made us. God made us because God wanted creatures who would reflect his glory. So long as I think that God's job is to give me what I want, I'm going to be disappointed. When I learn that actually God created me to reflect his image and his glory, my job is to praise my God. You know what happens? I actually find real happiness then. Because the the most sure way to live an unhappy life is to make happiness the goal of your life. Make happiness the goal of your life and you'll be an unhappy person. Make God the goal of your life and all of a sudden you'll discover, wow, he gives out gold medals and breaks world records as well. I didn't expect that. I'm going to move fast. I, I went a little slow at first service. So I just remind you that when we have the wrong expectations, we end up with disappointment. So let me go to the first question, which is this. Mm -hmm. If it is the case that I was created to reflect God's glory, to praise God, then I have to get my question right. The question isn't, can I trust God? The question is, can I trust God to do this or that? You see, this is actually a very specific question. What are you asking? uh, What question are you asking about trust? What question are you asking? If you're asking the question, can I trust God to give me everything that I want? The answer is no. Let me say that again. Can you trust God to give you everything you want? The answer is no, you can't trust. He never said he was going to. You're a child. We're all children. How many of you give your children everything they want? The answer is the most libertarian of you doesn't do that. Because you know it's dumb. You would never do that. You don't give your child everything. You give them what's good for them, not what they want. Simply rephrasing the question can help us. James puts it this way in chapter 4. He says, the reason you don't get what you ask for is because you're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking for yourself. And that's why you don't get it. So I'll put it this way. I should not trust God to do my will in my life. But I should trust God to do God's will in my life. All right. A couple of illustrations. Can I trust God to help me buy the bigger house that I want? Y'all can just answer this with me. Online, you can answer this with me. The answer is no. Can I trust God to give me a daily bread? I can How about this one? Can I trust God to make me so pretty that I get to be a cheerleader in my school? <laughs> you know why I put this up there? So I, I would not pull people's prayers out of the Western Wall in Jerusalem, but Joe Shulam does, and he likes to read them, and... Uh, some years ago, we were there, and he was pulling these prayers out of the wall. It's like these sacred things, and he's reading them, and la ha ha, you know, and then moving on to the next one. He, <laughs> yeah. oh, there you go 50 years. Uh, so Joe pulls one out, and it says, and I'm not making this up Dear Lord, please kill Susie because she's competing against me to get the position as a cheerleader at high school. And I thought, somebody flew all the way to Jerusalem to put that prayer in the wall. You know what? You really can't trust God to answer that prayer. But here's what you can trust. You can trust God to make you so beautiful on the inside that you look like Jesus. That's what he promised. He didn't promise to give you your will. He promised to give you his will. Can I trust God to prevent my car from breaking down while I'm on vacation? No. How many times have you prayed that though? Lord, uh, you know, make sure this car gets there. And then if it breaks down, you're going to be mad at God. Like, well, he doesn't even hear my prayers. He never said, I'm going to keep your car from breaking down. He didn't promise that. I'll tell you what he did promise. He promised that if your car breaks down, he's going to bring somebody into your life that you can disciple. Here's my question. Can he trust you to do it? Like trust goes both ways, doesn't it? You're sitting in the shop. There's some person sitting next to you, obviously in need of something. And you're just sitting there watching TV, Judge Judy or whatever's on because you're so introverted. You don't want to talk to her. Hey, who's got the trust issue now? God put somebody right next to you that you could talk to about Jesus, and you didn't do it. I'm just suggesting you can't trust God to give you everything you want, but you can trust him to give you everything he wants. How about this one? Can I trust God to get me to an Ivy League university? Just say, no, it'll help this sermon get done. I'm, you know, we're all dependent on you. It's in your hands now. Can I trust God to get me to school where I can witness Christ to others? Yes. Can I trust God to lower my cholesterol? Evidently not. Can I trust God to teach me moderation? I can trust God to teach me moderation. I can't trust myself to learn it, however. Can I trust God to give me a new job? I know you prayed this, Lord, this promotion's coming up. Will you give me this new job? Can you trust God to give you the new job? No, he never said, I'm going to give you a new job. But you can trust him to give you somebody in your old job whose life You can change forever. Are you? Can He trust you? Can He trust you? Can I trust God to end this pandemic before school starts so I don't have to wear a mask to school? (laughs) I don't think so. Can I trust God to use this pandemic so that I can grow spiritually? Absolutely I can. But my question is, can He trust you to grow spiritually? Can I trust God to prevent me from suffering? No. Can I trust Him to make me more holy through my suffering? Yes, and this one's pretty important, guys. Because when I do pastoral marriage counseling, which I don't do a lot of anymore, but when I used to do it, this was the big one. Can I trust God to give me a happy marriage? No. He never said, I'm going to give you a happy marriage. So it's okay to pray for it. And by the way, a lot of times he says, yes, it's okay to pray for it. I hope you pray for it. But he never said, I'm going to give you a happy marriage. What he did say is, I can make you like Jesus through your marriage. I can train you how to be a man who's a husband just as Christ is to the church. I can train you to be a bride who is just like Christ in relationship with your husband. That's what he will do. That's his will. Can I trust God to prevent my children from making mistakes? No, God gave them free will. If you haven't figured that out, they're going to do what they want to do at some point. Can I trust God to teach me how to be a godlike parent? Absolutely. Can I trust God to prevent my dad from dying? Nope. But I can trust God to raise him up to life eternal. I can trust him for that. What I'm trying to teach us is this. We don't trust God to do our will in our lives. That's a mistake. That's where the disappointment and despair comes from. Instead, we trust God to do his will in our lives, and we remind ourselves that his will is infinitely better than our will. And To prove that, I'm going to skip through all this and I'm going to go here. So, here's what I'm asking you to do. Very simple. Pray what Jesus prayed. It's a a long and growing process to get to the point where I say, Lord, not my will. Not my will with my health, not my will with my job, not my will with my marriage, not my will with. My depression not my will with all these sorts of things instead as Jesus says you think Jesus didn't feel this like y'all know he's scourged his flesh is ripped off his body then he's crucified naked he knows what's happening he knows where it's going to go you don't think he meant it when he said Lord please will you take this cup away and then what does he say Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So I'm inviting you to have the courage to pray that prayer. Lord, we want your will done in our lives. And I'm going to say this: when you make that prayer, you know what happens? The very next thing that happens, that's going to be that's going to be God's will. That is, He's going to answer it. Um, So I've already tipped you off to my last little story here. Uh, Yesterday, a funeral for one of our matriarch at North Boulevard, Ruth Mays. By the way, this is Ruth and Joe's wedding picture. And not just a week or so before Joe passed away, I was at the house and got this picture, the last picture and I won't won't leave it up. But uh, I've said this before, but I think that Ruth and Joe in so many ways Built North Boulevard to where it is today. I owe a bigger debt to Joe and Ruth Mays than I can ever express. In 1968, Joe was working in Walled Lake, Michigan as an insurance agent with three other guys. So, two other guys, there were three of them working together. Partners. And two of the partners decided they were going to give bottles of whiskey at Christmas time to their clients just as a gesture of, you know friendship hey we like your business and Joe said I, I can't do that I, I, I'm against I, I, I'm a Christian and I'm not going to do that and by the way I just want you to know that it wasn't that Joe knew nothing about alcohol he he told me a lot of funny stories about the church in Farmington where he grew up they actually families would make the wine for communion and he said they did that until finally they had to stop because some guy kept breaking in on Sunday mornings and drinking all the wine before before they had church uh, but Joe just took a stand that he wasn't going to do it. And the partners outvoted him. So Joe goes home and says to Ruth, um, I'm quitting my job. He's got no other job. And he says to her, I think we'd better move back to Tennessee, where Joe's from. Ruth's from Michigan. Ruth's got three children at the time. She'll have another one soon. And she has to cross this bridge in her head. We're giving up our job, our life, our families down the road. They're all in Wall Lake there. And I'm going to Tennessee because my husband's quitting his job. He's quitting his job because he took a stand. That's how they got here to Tennessee. I had the opportunity to tell Joe multiple times how glad I was that your partners decided to offer whiskey to your clients because if they hadn't, you wouldn't have been here to build North Boulevard like you did. But see, when you do God's will, he opens all these doors. You'd never even thought were available. But sometimes, like with Tatiana, he says, Hey, I'll throw in a win for you too. So, I don't remember what year it was, 1995 or something like that, 96. I was sitting in my office, we're back at the old building on the other side of the university. Joe came into the office, he said, "Uh, Looks like my ship came in. Those of you who know Joe, Joe would say it, and then you would say, What? And he would say it a second time, and about eight times before he finally explained, I think he was just building up the climax. I said, I don't know what you're talking about, Joe. My ship, my ship came in. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. My ship, my ship. And finally, he said, he he has an uncle who passed away, and unbeknownst to Joe, had left Joe some money. And Joe says to me, um, he said, I guess the Lord was taking care of me when I gave up my job and took a chance and came here to Tennessee. See, that's what happens when you ask the right question. The wrong question is, Lord, will you give me everything I want? And the right question is, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's the prayer I want to encourage you to pray this week. Lord, you've made a lot of promises. The promises are not about me getting everything I want, but they are promises about you doing what you want in my life. Now make me receptive to your will in my life. And if you really feel a passion to do that, I want to invite you to go back to the back if you're in this service. If you're online, go to one of the prayer buttons and you can click online and let one of us pray with you. And let's learn to pray that prayer. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And then buckle your seatbelt because he's got something awesome for you. Let's stand up and sing.